What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Stand Up to Sitting podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, I am fucking juiced for today's show with Adam Freighter. And Adam is the king of bodyweight training and functional fitness. He has over 10 years experience in the industry and is the creator of Body Alchemy, whose online fitness programs have impacted tens of thousands of people all over the world. He's on a mission to continuing empowering others through movement, travel, and self-actualization. Before we get into today's show, I want to shout out our sponsor. I am so grateful to partner with Kai's Energy Bars. Kai's are these all-natural, only four to six ingredients in each bar, and they're amazing whether it's post-workout or you just need a midday pick-me-up. These bars have kept me going the last few months, and the reason that I love this company so much is because I connected with their founder, Jeff, and Jeff is so committed to making an impact in the community that every box of bars they sell, he donates some to kids in Haiti. He's literally making a generational change for the youth overseas. And that is really why I felt this duty and alignment to partner with Kai. So I'm so grateful for them. And they have been generous enough to give this community 15% off their orders. So go to kaisconcepts.com and then put coach Jeremy 305 at checkout so you can get some of these guys. I'm not joking. I don't take or put anything in my body that has any artificial flavors, ingredients. So get on these now, save 15% off coach Jeremy 305 at checkout. Peace. I think I messed up with one of the gerunds with continuing, but how did that sound? I mean, the, the energy sounded great. That's all that matters. Let's go, bro. <laughs> good, to, good to have you in you here, too, homie. Man. Thanks for having me. Um, Body Alchemy. It's an interesting name. Mm. Talk about that a little bit and how that came to realization. Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of a long story, but basically um, I had the online Instagram platform, which was just growing organically. Never really a goal specifically to grow it, but I was you know, one of the first people to dive into calisthenics back in the day when Instagram was introducing video, and Instagram was very much used for building the sport. So like, I was just interested in Instagram because I liked learning calisthenics, and this was like where you could discover the new moves that were coming out and connect with people and find people in different cities to train with, you know, whatever. One thing led to the next. I guess I was good at creating content, started getting followers. But I had a day job working a software company, doing marketing, business development, a bunch of other stuff. Um, before, like, I was so ready to leave that job. And while I, when I did, I was looking for another job. And my good friend basically said to me, showed me an online calisthenics program that had sold, like, 3,000 copies for, like, 30 bucks, quick 100 grand. And I'm like, What? And these guys weren't even fit. They weren't even talented. They, that, not to put them down. It's just like, I just knew that I could do better. Right. And it blew my mind. So I saw this opportunity there. Um, so we actually launched a company called Powers. The company was called uh, Powers TV. And message behind that was good. Everybody's got your powers, you know. Um, and after a year of running Powers and selling some programs, we were like fighting the good fight, but we weren't as profitable. It wasn't as easy as everybody made it look. Um, and I was a little discouraged 
And I was kind of like going through some things in my life. I'd gone through a breakup. I was about to move to London. And um, I basically just had a lot going on. And I guess we're just going to dive right into this one. But basically, I, um, I had my spiritual awakening around the same time, which came as a result of using certain psychedelic drugs, which I had never done before, um, which I don't necessarily say that you should do. Right. But depending at where you are in your life, it could help you in many different ways. So I would say be open-minded to learning and researching that kind of thing. Of course. And not listening to like the media of how they've blown these things up to be so negative because there are definitely positive things that you can get out of it. And in my case, I did. Now, this whole day, this whole awakening, this whole ability to kind of shed some of my ego, to see all the bullshit that I was hiding in my life. Um, I was able to close so many doors on things and cut so many strings. And I know this is a long story around the term alchemy, but it's really kind of special. No, keep, keep going in. One of the biggest takeaways I realized is like when we're kids and we grow up, like there's no racism between kids. There's really no hate. Like everybody's just so loving. You learn these things in your environment. They're conditioned in you through your families and how you're, you're upbringing and, and stuff. And I, I, my, my big finding is like to my friends that I was having this experience with, I'm like, we need to be more like kids. Like, I want to walk into a room and just like everybody's just so loving. Little kids come up and they hug each other. Like it's just, it's so, it's just so loving, right? Yeah. And as I'm saying this, my friend takes me to the Aloe Yoga store in Beverly Hills because there's supposed to be a sound bath. I've never done sound healing or sound Ooh, baths before. The best. Um, and apparently the tones mixed with, you know, this substance were supposed to create some like, you know, again, some spiritual effect and you can be more present and all these things you can gain out of it. Now we get to this to the, the sound bath, turns out private event going on. It's a biodynamic cacao tasting. Mm. Didn't know cacao is a heart opener and all the other things that that actually had the properties that that has as its own modality. Um, and when we get there, this little seven-year-old girl comes running up to us. We're not invited. We shouldn't have been there. We didn't even know this. She comes running up to us and she's so like, she's just so outgoing and so friendly. Exactly everything that I was talking about. Grabs my hand, grabs my friend's hand, pulls us up, finds a mat for us to lay on and like just welcomes us into this thing that we showed up late that we weren't invited to. Then grabs my hand, pulls me up to the cacao bowl and says, you got to put your intention in the bowl. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. You know, like let other people do it. She's like, no, you have to. I'm like, okay. This is like weird. Like in some way she was, she took the shape of an entity during this experience of some yeah. sort. Um, and like, I don't know. She just like, like everything about her kind of just like exemplified what I was experiencing that day. Um, and her parents are these biodynamic hippie cacao farmers. And her name was Alchemy. I'm like, that's just such an odd name. Now, if you don't know the definition of alchemy, it's like the study of turning any material into gold or um, being able to cure all the world's problems and diseases. Mm. Um, which, like, as far as I'm concerned, fitness and getting shredded is one thing. But my goal is to make people feel happy and healthy in their bodies. If you focus on the inside, if you focus on feel – the outside result should be a, an athletic and, you know, nice physique. Um, but this girl just like throughout the day, just the, the, that was it. So I was basically by the end of this day, I had so many, I had so many realizations and I was like, you know what? I'm reviving my company. Powers had like, like I said, it sizzled out. It wasn't performing. I revived the company. I named it Body Alchemy. My goal was to bring alchemy to the body and try to spread my message to everybody and now, after this experience, it wasn't so much just about, um, again, fitness and these shreds. I wanted to do more. So that's alchemy. That's so dope. Does, does that girl or her parents know that they were the inspiration for the name? No. 
that would be cool to like let them know at some point and be like, yo, like, I just want to let you know how your seven-year-old daughter inspired me with her childlike joy and curiosity. Well, I think I tried to like explain it to them at the end of the event. Like, I don't know in what capacity I was able to like, you know, speak coherently. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I was, but I was a little bit, you know, insecure, I guess, about it at the time. But I, I tried to tell them, like, your daughter's incredible. Like, I've never met a kid that's just so outgoing and so sociable and well-spoken and everything. Yeah. Um, that's but, amazing, yeah, man. We'll connect with them or try to find out how to one day. How were you able to communicate that story to your followers, to your people who are subscribing to your programs in an effective way? I never did. Mm. Powers never did enough. This was years ago <clears throat> that like when I made the switch, I don't think people like recognized it, right? Not, not, never, I'd say in the early stages of a brand, people don't know the name of the brand necessarily. Right. They know the person. So Adam had a program. It was called uh, Power Shreds. Now Adam has a program called the Shredded Academy. Yeah. Power Shreds was Powers TV and Shredded Academy is part of Body Alchemy. So it didn't really need to be explained. Um, but now you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you were you were talking about these stories, these narratives that we create for ourselves, right? Through the processes of life from our parents, from our teachers, from our society, mm -hmm. right? What were some of those stories and narratives that you had started telling yourself as you were getting older? Well, I mean, if I speak it now, it's going to be, it's a story. At the end of the day, everything's a story. So, I mean, we tell ourselves these stories and the more that we tell ourselves these stories, we cling to them. Right. And it defines us. So I think part of, part of this experience and part of being more mindful and, and call it spiritual, uh, spirituality is recognizing that you don't have to be tied to these stories. Tell yourself whatever story you want to tell yourself. Why tell yourself a story that uh, I'm depressed? Like if, if you admit that you're depressed, you're going to be that much more depressed. Yeah. Whenever someone's like, oh, you might be depressed if you're feeling and acting this way. I'm like, no, I'm not depressed. I'm not going to accept that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean... Was there something because because I, yeah. I think it's really important like to for the listeners and people watching to understand like your subconscious mind doesn't have a filter. So if you're continuing to tell yourself these negative negative thoughts and self-limiting beliefs, those things are going to manifest and they're going to become your truth. Right. So what w was there like maybe one specific thought you were having that was holding you back in some way at that time? At that time I was I was going through a breakup, so like a lot of things were relating to that, and um, I really loved this person, but like, and we didn't break up for a good reason. It was just, I guess, we had changed, and in, in our, I think that monogamy is difficult because people change throughout their life, and it's it's not realistic to always imagine you're going to change and stay in parallel as you're changing. Mm. So that's why you could be married for ten years, still love each other, but like not really like each other anymore because you've mm. changed so much, but you stay together for whatever reason. But I think that my big takeaway was. Um, one, I feel like I really learned what compassion was, not by definition, but by like feeling it. Yes. Um, and at the same time, like not to be angry. I feel like where I come from, I don't, I'm from New Jersey, which like, if you're familiar with Jersey, it's probably because of like Jersey Shore or something that just depicts Jersey in a terrible way, but it's not so far from how the majority of people act there. It's very loud. It's very aggressive. The way that I've seen love in my life is not the way that I now see people love each other um, in California and other places that are a little bit more, call it woke. Um, but yeah, I mean, I lived my life like 
how I was brought up in my family to get angry at things, get mad, get frustrated, these emotions that there's just no need. I mean, I get frustrated as any normal person does, but now after this awakening, I don't get angry. I can't think of the last time I was angry, like mm. mad. Why get angry? Why does yeah. that emotion need to come to light? I don't, why? Yeah. And I think we were, we were talking, we were talking about, you know, like the effects of different things. And I think for me, like psilocybin and experimenting with microdosing mushrooms is one of the biggest things that I've gained from it is like, I notice that sometimes I'll overwhelm myself with everything I'm trying to create, everything I'm trying to do. And I'll make bigger problems out of these things that are actually blessings. Like it's actually a gift that I have all this stuff going on. Why am I going to sabotage myself? And sometimes these little medicines, whatever you want to call them, they allow you to activate you know, part of your amygdala brain, your emotional center that allows you to understand like, yo, like that shit's really not that serious. Like, yo, this moment, this situation, my life is fucking beautiful. Right. And it's like, like you said with the cacao, it kind of opens your heart and your mind to different things. Well, life is just a series of problem solving. You're never going to not have problems. So how you react to problems dictates your life. If you always react that you're stressed and flustered, there's so much going on then like, well, that's going to be your life. You're just going to be a ball of stress. And my friends that are balls of stress will say that they're stressed because <clears throat> it's a busy time of year. But that stress never leaves. It's a habit now. That's how they always think. Yeah. And there's no need to react in that sort of way because if you think about it, you're always going to have some obstacle throughout life. So it's not about avoiding those obstacles. It's just about learning how to deal with them. Yeah. What is one obstacle? You mentioned the tough breakup. What is another obstacle or piece of adversity that stands out to you that you've overcome that's really helped shape who you are today? Because I think it's easy. You know, I know you've talked about it before on different platforms. People are just posting their highlight reel, right? They're top 1%. So it's easy to just think that all these people are living these magical lives. So what is one thing that stands out that you've overcome that's helped shape you? Like an event that I've overcome or just like a- Event, it doesn't have to be like one isolated event, maybe like- Well, I mentioned that I learned compassion, right? And I, yeah. And I think that that's an interesting thing because everybody's gonna say that they're compassionate. I, don't, I wouldn't meet somebody that's like, no, fuck compassion, I'm not compassionate. Right. But like, you gotta demonstrate it in some way. So the example that I like to give, and this was just so apparent to me, and you know, is if you're walking down the street and someone brushes past you and gives you like a mean shoulder, you're thinking, what a fucking asshole, dickhead, whatever else is going through your mind. Yeah. But if you knew that that person's like mother had just passed away, you'd be like, oh my God, I feel so bad for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it, you know. But the truth is you don't ever know. So making any judgment is not compassionate. So the compassion would be to just, you know, to, to not put that on, you know, basically to not make that uh, assumption, to not be, to, you're, if you're familiar with the four agreements, maybe, you know, not making assumptions, that would be the highlight of that, right? Yeah. Um, so I can amplify that concept to a lot of different things in my life. Um, and part of that was the relationship. Um, part of that was my relationship with my parents, with my friends, with my work, with everything. And I think compassion is very important for all of those things. Mm. Like for the ex-girlfriend, like there was no reason for me to hate her except that I was mad about how it worked out. And because I was mad about how it worked out, these emotions of anger and frustration all came to light. But the truth is like, for instance, I didn't want to look at pictures of us on a vacation from when we were together. I'm like, fuck this, fuck her. Yeah. But like when we went on that vacation, I loved her 
and we were really together. We were really close and it was an amazing trip. So that moment in my life was beautiful. Right. Why can't I look at that moment as it's still beautiful? Just because I'm not with that person anymore? Yeah. That makes no sense. Of course. Why would I want to close off a part of my life that was beautiful? I noticed you said the ex-girlfriend. Mm. Was that intentional? Because what I notice a lot of people when they speak, and I think language is so important, is they speak in terms of my. So it's all of these things like my ex-girlfriend, um, my job, my car, my house, and it's all of these attachments, mm. right? And we become attached to all of these different things and people, and it creates our identity. Right. So it's like, oh shit, like you, you played sports, right? You were an athlete for a majority of your life. Okay, and now you're not playing sports competitively in like a sense of soccer or football, whatever it may be. Now like a whole part of your identity is gone. And I see that as a big thing with getting over relationships or retiring from a sport or having to leave because of an injury mm -hmm. and people struggle to move on because they're so attached as that being their identity. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I purposefully said that, but maybe subconsciously I'm doing the right things. Because, I mean, that's a great point. I don't feel attached to her in any way that I need to say that she was my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. She's, I, I she's think it's sex. Yeah. And I think one of the things when I speak to you, even just like briefly now, I, I feel like there's a lot of self-awareness and like you've had a lot of life experiences to shape these different thought patterns. And I know you're an avid traveler. Um, yeah, yeah. You, I, and from what I understand, it kicked off when you did a study abroad to Barcelona. Mm -hmm. I just went there for the first time this summer and I fucking, I fell in love, bro. Yeah. It's like, I got a lot of Miami vibes. I think it's just Miami of Europe. Yeah. So if you like the vibe of Europe and you like Miami, it's, it's the best of both worlds. Like their beach and their boardwalk and like they just built a new like muscle beach yeah, there. They have a few of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talk about kind of that experience and then how travel has helped shape you. Uh, I don't, th I hadn't really done much travel before study abroad and it was kind of just a whim. I kind of just went. Um, and I, I would say of all my travel experiences, it was probably like, it was my first real one. So I was definitely a rookie as far as how to have the best experience. Um, if I could go back and do it differently, I would tell myself I would, but in my woke state now, of course, I would never change anything in the past because I'm very confident with where I am now. Yeah. Um, but I was in an American school, so I was with Americans. I didn't get so much culture, but I got to see things. Um, and I started to like, at least by the end of the trip, like feel like I didn't want to just be like one of these other American students that is an American student in Spain. I want to try to feel what it's like to be mm. a Spaniard, to like actually know what it's like to be raised in a different culture. So um, I wanted to assimilate more into the culture. So I went and I got the like Cristiano Ronaldo haircut that was like the faux hawk all the way down the Ooh. back. Um, and we got to pull up a pic of that. <laughs> if, I find, if I can find one, that'd be funny. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from that was just that I want to assimilate into cultures when I travel. I don't want to go do touristy things. Mm. Um, not to say touristy things aren't great. You got to see the cathedrals and the museums and all that kind right. of stuff because they're great. They're beautiful and they're thousands of years of history and stuff. But like, I don't want to look like a tourist when I walk down the street because you're not going to get culture that way. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway from study abroad. And then, I mean, from there, that just lit the, the fire. Yeah, talk about, I know you were in Japan over the summer. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about that, bro, because I just had a homie come back and everything I've heard from Japan in terms of like their cleanliness, their kindness, their compassion. Like talk about 
kind of maybe maybe something that Americans could learn from the way that they are in Japan and other Southeast Asian countries? Well, for one, I think it's interesting just from the Western perspective to try to um, understand a lot of these concepts, for instance, like Zen. Zen can't even be translated into English because we don't have words that would describe the feelings, the emotions, and the meanings behind certain principles in Zen. Mm. Now, there's a book called The Art of Zen, for instance. I um, can't remember exactly who wrote it. Um, but anyway, th this guy tries to break it down as best as he can, and he says, like, you know, for instance, this term means these four different American words all combined, and they're contradicting words. Mm. So it, it doesn't make sense in... Anyway, to build off of that, um, Japan was probably the hardest one to actually get culture out of because it's so distant from us. Yeah. In Europe, you'll find a lot of people that speak English. Their Latin-based languages are very similar to us. It's still all westernized culture in, to a degree. Japan was like the furthest out that I've been. I mean, I, and you know, maybe Thailand and whatnot. But um, I think that we're a little intimidating to the Japanese from – this was just my experience while I was there. As a tourist, it wasn't like people were coming up and dying to talk to me in any sort of way, nor are they in any other city. But it was more like they were a little standoffish, and maybe that's just whatever their experience is towards Americans traveling to Japan. But as far as my observation of their culture, I mean, it, yeah, it just seems way, like, respectful. It's just, it's just a level of respect that's different. Hmm. Um, it's very clean. Um, when it comes to beauty, it's a completely different game. I mean, we're, we do whatever cosmetic things we do on our end. Theirs is completely different. We want to be tan and beautiful. They want to be pale and, you know, wear the geisha face. And um, it's just very different. But I have always had this, like, natural attraction to Japan. They're, they're barefoot when they walk through the house. They're incredibly clean. They're sitting on the floor. They're doing things that are way more, as far as movement and fitness is concerned, way more healthy. The whole, like, the way they eat, dude, if you got to go to Japan and just eat. I'm going for the Olympics, actually. Are you? Yeah, in You can June. go into a 7-Eleven and get the best sushi you've ever had in your life, and it's the freshest because three times a day they just reload the shelves with fresh-made stuff, not from the 7-Eleven production company, like from the local wow. markets. You could go to a sushi house and you could pay five times the price, and it's going to be the same as what you're paying at the 7-Elevens. That's unreal. It's, it's incredible, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> um, so you were mentioning just health and fitness and like – in, in Asian cultures, like they're required to be in a deep squat, for instance, yeah. much longer. And it, it's like a normal thing. They're waiting for the train. They go in a deep squat. They read the newspaper in a deep squat. They take a shit in a deep squat. They sit on the floor when they eat dinner. Yeah. And, and like these functional patterns, these small changes manifest in the big things, like simply just standing and barefoot and grounding and things like that, connecting with our nervous system are powerful mechanisms we can use throughout the day. So I'm wondering, like, because you are so, I think when people see you in your programs, like, it's like body weight, calisthenics, functional fitness. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you define functional fitness? Because that term gets thrown out there so often. It does. And as I learned more and studied other people that promote completely different forms of functional fitness, they would say that what I do is completely not functional. But then you'd have bodybuilders that say that this is way more functional. Um, I just think it's things that more resemble movements that you would do in some form. Now, I also believe functional fitness can relate to a sport too. It could be functionally, you could be functionally fit for a sport. So football players train, you know, certain types of movements that I wouldn't say are functional for 
um, a yogi, right? And, and yogis do whatever they do, but um, I would train it as, or I would I would explain it as functional fitness is movements that you would do, like getting out of bed requires you to do a squat. You swing your legs over and you stand up. Yeah. So if you do a bunch of squats, it's going to help you get out of bed in the morning. If you're 80 years old and you're worrying about, you know, the strength of getting out of bed, walking down the stairs, walking up the stairs, these simple things, you should train functional movements so you're better at that. Should you be 80 and go do leg press in the gym? Is that going to help you in any way? Not really. Yeah. If you want to do that when you're younger, if you want to do that for sports, that's a completely different game. But it's basically doing things that are going to help you in your life rather than hurt you. 100%. And I love, dude, I'm all about bodyweight training because it empowers you to really discover things about your body. Like our body is capable of so many beautiful things and movements that oftentimes we don't give ourselves the opportunity to explore. And it's like for someone who's traveling all the time, for someone who's at a desk, it's like, dude, you can do this shit in your apartment. You can do it at the airport. Like there's no excuses. And that's one of my favorite things about it. Well, even, you know, to tie that into Japan and, you know, some of these other Asian cultures, have you ever seen like recess in China or recess in Japan? Like with schools? Yeah, yeah. No. It's a thousand people in a line, like military style, and they have to do like every single day, 10, 15, or 30, I don't remember exact amount of time, but they have to do very simple things like, not movements we would have done. They're not doing jumping jacks and push-ups, but like it's deep squat pumps and like arm circles and just things to move. And as I traveled through Thailand, I remember walking through like this really like dirt. Thailand, Bangkok's not the cleanest city to say the least. It's pretty filthy actually um, and very polluted. But when I'm walking down this like random like uh, alleyway and there's like some random shops that, you know, and there's this, this old guy that comes out and uh, – he just starts doing that. It was what he did first thing in the morning. You could tell it was like those movements were trained in him like way back at a young age. And here he is like an 80-year-old guy that moves better than any 80-year-old that I see in America. Doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. Does he work out? Does he go for runs? Does he eat healthy like consciously, specifically? No. That's just their culture. Yeah. And, and that's amazing because in America, our culture is the opposite of that. Yeah, we don't focus on those things. We think we, we think of workout for aesthetic purposes. We think of eating healthy for, well, I mean for health purposes, but we don't even do it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I'm wondering, for me, when I was starting to get into fitness and lifting weights when I was like 17 or 18, uh, it was all based on aesthetics. I was like the scrawniest kid, and I I was like, I was like all right, I need to do something to build my confidence to maybe have a girl look my direction. Right. And I hit up the YMCA and I started like lifting a little bit, didn't really know what I was doing. I'm wondering if it was similar for you in the fact that it was like started off aesthetics as the main driving force. And then has it evolved? Like how's that kind of internal process been? Yeah, I mean, I think that it wouldn't be fair for me to say that it wasn't ever aesthetics for the purpose of, girls or my ego or whatever it might've been at the time. Um, but I've always been lean because I've always played every sport that I could like my favorite thing to do with any free time is just move. Yeah. Whether I'm playing soccer, football, basketball, just riding bikes with friends or just doing anything as a little kid, I was always moving. So I've always been lean, which means I've always had abs pretty much as far as I can remember, I've always had abs, which is great. So I never like, it's not like I was ever in my life. Like I would see a guy that got attention for a body and I was like, damn, I want that. Because yeah. I always had like a fraction of it. When I got to college, 
it was different because you go from being the senior in high school. I was, you know, senior on my varsity football team, captain of the team, like whatever big shot you can be in high school to now being the freshman. And that really crushes your ego. And all of a sudden you're the small guy. And at 17 or 18, you've only developed so much compared to the 21 year old seniors that you're going to college with. And these guys are huge and they've been hitting the gym and doing whatever the hell they're doing and taking their supplements and doing their roids. So like I get to college, I'm like, shit, I gotta, I gotta put on some size. Like I want to be a little bit bigger. Um, but I gave that up pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say is like your next evolution in terms of personal development, whether it's body, mind, whatever it is, is there something that you've thought about like diving deeper into? Yeah. I want to disassociate my connection with food. Mm. I think that as a fitness, being in the fitness industry, being a trainer, um, like you said it, your motivation was aesthetics when you got into fitness. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, whatever gets you to be healthier, at least it gets you to be healthier. So I have no problem promoting my program and say, get shredded. Like, it's all about getting shredded. I know that thousands of people are buying my programs for the purpose of getting shredded. But of that, they're gaining so much more that they're not aware of. Mm. They're getting more in touch with their body because they're doing body weight. So they're establishing that mind-body connection. They're creating mobility, which they're not being sold on the fact that this is going to create mobility, but they're doing it, which is going to make them feel healthier, move healthier, and be healthier. And then there's, of course, some like mental and motivation stuff included. So all of this is kind of like behind the scenes, but helping people. So um, remind me your question again. I feel like you, you well, well, you're, I was talking about what is like something that you're trying to dive deeper right, into, so, and you said your dissociation. So I disassociate with food. Exactly. So. The problem is that in this world of fitness and aesthetics, it's all about protein. It's all about how much or how little carbs you're supposed to eat to stay shredded. And it's all relating food to aesthetics. But like, fuck that. Food is relating to health. The problem with food in America is we, we kill ourselves by eating. Yeah. It's the people that eat way, way less, a fraction of what we eat. And I'm not talking about people that are like thin and frail and look like anorexic. It's just people that aren't eating and creating these problems through food, um, and they're way healthier. Um, our stomach is our second brain, but we don't treat it like that. Mm. And I had this conversation the other day. You wouldn't go bash your head into the wall because head trauma is a serious thing, but you're going to stuff some sort of fucked up thing in your stomach that has no nutritional value to your body whatsoever. So like when I go eat that lava cake with the molten ice cream that tastes so good, I'm literally causing trauma to my second brain. There's 100 million neurons in your gut. So when you fuck with your gut, you're really fucking with your mind. And people don't realize that. You're stressed, sure, for the, you know, the outside reasons, the external factors that are happening in your life, but you're stressed because you're stressing out your stomach. Of course. You're stressed because you're hitting bench press and heavy squats and stressing out your muscles. Stress can exist in other parts of your body. It doesn't always just start in your brain. Yeah. So I want to so disassociate my connection with food and somehow still continue on a fitness path. I don't want to lose weight or anything. I've never been trying to gain weight. Um, and ba basically for the sake of healing my gut, healing other issues that are in my body, there's so many different celebrities and health people, longevity scientists and researchers that will swear that fasting is the best way to put your body in a regenerative state so you can produce stem cells and heal anything. Yeah. I mean, Will Smith recently talked about how he did a, a water fast for 10 days and healed everything that was wrong with him. Um, and I mean, of all celebrities, I think he's pretty reputable, but you know. Yeah, Will Smith's a G. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. And I think it's, it's funny because all of these 
protocols that are becoming like very westernized and well-known now for like their efficacy, like fasting, for instance, this has been done for thousands of years, like mushrooms. These have been used in Chinese medicine for thousands of years. So it's kind of funny how like all of these original protocols are circling back and people think like it's the newest wave. It's like, dude, this shit's been around. It is, but there's, it's like triggers, right? Like yeah. if I mentioned fasting to my family, that's nothing new to them. They've heard about fasting and they've heard cleanses before and they're like, oh, that's just the new trend and you know, whatever. But like, no, like scientifically, like dive into the data. Like there's researchers that have paired fasting with cancer. You're like, what? 100%. Cancer patients have problems eating, but there's doctors that will say that you should fast before you do chemo because it'll put your body in this super strong state so all your good cells aren't destroyed by the chemotherapy and the chemo can just attack the bad cells. Yeah. I'm specifically referring to this book called The Longevity Diet by uh, Walter Longo, but he's the chief longevity researcher at a USC. And they did this research, like they starved yeast from their food group. So basically they wanted to do this testing and they took yeast and they're like, all right, let's see how long yeast lives if we give it half of its normal food mm. and it lived twice as long. They're like, okay, we didn't expect that. All right, we need a control group. Let's give yeast none of their normal food and just see how long they live without food. And they lived four times as long. Don't quote me on the exact times, but they lived even longer. Yeah. And they're like, what? Like we, we in, in the scientific community know that yeast eat this and this is their average age. But if you just starve them of their food, all of a sudden they live longer than anything has ever They're lived. thriving. They're thriving. Yeah. Um, and they're producing all of these regenerative um, effects. So then they did it on mice and then eventually on people. And um, that's basically what they learned. And now they're pairing that research with cancer. Now the cancer communities were like, they rejected it for years and years and years until they had enough data to say, look what we're doing. And now it's been adopted and accepted by the community. And it's, it's widespread. I even ran into a holistic doctor the other day who had torn her MCL for the second time. I think the first time she did like, it's a slight tear. She did natural modalities to fix it. The second time she was actually going to go see a doctor, get it surgically repaired. She said before her surgery, she's doing the fasting mimicking diet from, that's what his diet's called, yeah. um, to put her body in this strong state so she can he cut her healing time in half. I've, we're I've, eating and we're killing ourselves. Yeah, and I think I think it's so important too. Like, we it, it it all comes back to for me like intuition. I think intuition is so key. Whether we're talking about movement or nutrition, it's like being able to listen to what your body needs in that moment. So like, maybe you've been lifting heavy for a couple of days in a row. It's like, yo, I just need to like chill in a sauna, do some breathing, do some stretching, like rather than continue driving yourself into a wall. Same thing with food. I think people are way too harsh on themselves. And it's like, they're trying to follow this super strict protocol that in the long term probably isn't sustainable for them. And then they beat themselves up every time they, have a craving and they fulfill that craving. It's like, that really shouldn't be how it is. Um, and I think- They feel obligated. Yeah. They're obligated and, to eat for what? And I think it's, it's, it's so much of it is how we've been brought up, like with the food pyramid and being told breakfast is the most important part of meal of the, the day. Biggest, the biggest hoax that there could be. Oh yeah. And I you mean- You were literally brought up and conditioned from the beginning that you should have this much dairy. Yeah. You should have this much whatever, whatever, whatever. Dairy is on our chart. Like it's a necessity. It's I, one of the essentials that you're supposed to consume. 
yeah. the milk of another species is something that's essential for humans, that just in itself doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I just remember all the got milk ads and like all the top athletes with like the milk mustache. So it all- Actually, I gotta tell you something funny real quick. No, sorry. To yeah, 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 go for I it. Got, I get approached by brands sometimes for, you know, promotions. Yeah. And um, I'm all down for, I'm only down for brands of things that like I would support. I'll never do something just for the money. I got hit up by the milk industry or the dairy industry saying we're trying to get we're trying to put the dairy industry into social media we want people to to talk about the positive effects of drinking whole milk like absolutely not are you kidding me like now you're trying to pay people to convince them to drink more milk cuz whatever conspiracy is behind the massive dairy industry and you guys are suffering because people are waking up yeah i think one of the biggest dairy companies actually it was either a milk company or dairy company in the US went out of business. They went bankrupt Good. because of all the alternatives. You know, you have almond milk, coconut milk. Now you have oat milk, which is like blowing up. Um, and yeah, people are understanding like 80% of people are lactose intolerant. Like you As need, they should be. <laughs> yeah, you need, you need like that breast milk early on for your development. Yeah. Right. But we don't have the enzymes to properly digest, especially the way it's pasteurized in the U S like, it's just a brutal, disgusting process. I just find it all to be funny. Like I grew up and we're, again, we're conditioned. Like I never asked questions growing up because you trust everything that your parents tell you. Parents say you need to drink milk. School says you need to drink milk, strong bones, strong, whatever. You don't question it. Yeah. Now all of a sudden I'm questioning it and it, I just feel so stupid that it didn't hit me before. Yeah. Why is it essential to drink the milk of another species? And if you dive into it, like you said, the pasteurization process, just pasteurization by itself kills all the bacteria that's in milk to make it safe to drink. But it doesn't just kill all the bacteria. It kills all the nutrients that may or may not have been helpful for you. So what you're left with is a basic white liquid that pretty much is useless, has whatever hormones that is meant to turn a baby cow into a big cow. It's not meant for people. It's not the hormones you get out of your mother's breast milk. What the fuck are we doing drinking it? Yeah. And sure, like if we like ice cream, we like ice cream, but now we can make it out of coconut milk and almond milk. Ooh. So what the hell is the point? Yeah, it so makes, good. It just makes no sense. And, I, and I, I posted this on social media. I did a little rant as a story. And I had so many people that were like, dude, I never even thought about it like that. Wow, I don't want to drink milk again. And then I had so many people that were like, you don't make any sense, yada, 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 because you know, they reject uh, change. I think, yeah, and all like exactly what you said, rejecting change and just being so ingrained and comfortable in those stories, in those paradigms, whether it's with food. It's like, like no, I would never give up pizza or ice cream or all of these things. It's like, it's this very limited thought pattern. And that's why I'm so excited for you to fucking get your ass in the cold plunge okay. because, because we're going to really just unlock something even new, even get just getting, getting that mind even stronger than it already is. Well, for everyone listening, but prior to the podcast, we were talking about cold plunges. Yes. Um, and I like to think I have a pretty good athlete's mentality on a lot of things. I'll tough it through pain and I'll push myself to whatever limits. But when it comes to cold water, I'm such a bitch. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm excited because when you put yourself in those conditions, like you do learn a lot about yourself. Hell yeah, dude. It's, it's all about, it's, it's just life training. Yeah. Like all of this shit, like training in the cold, being able to persist through that. It's like, okay, if you jump out right away, where else are you doing that in your life? Where else are you like dipping your toes in? And then as soon as there's some discomfort and adversity coming your way, you're like, nah, fuck that. Like I'm going back to the comfort. No, I mean, that's a really great point. Yeah. So, so, and I, and I know you're all about like embracing, like really diving deep. So that's why I know you're not going to shy away from it. Well, I'll tell you, 
you just feel so good afterwards. It's three minutes of absolute suffering to feel good. I started running last year. I don't like running. Yeah. I did yoga a few years ago. I never liked yoga, but at the end of a yoga class, I felt great. Yeah. When I'm done running, I feel great. Yeah. The ice bath, when you're done, you feel great. Hell yeah. And I don't mean because all of a sudden you're warm because your body really feels great and there's research and things to support everything that's going on. I tried to uh, tell my dad, I'm like, dad, you got to do a cold plunge. It's like, absolutely not. I'm like, why? You're not going to die. You're not going to get close to death. You're not going to feel the effects of something that might have gotten you close to death. You're not going to be in pain the next day. It's going to do all of the opposite. But no, he's 63 years set into his ways. Like, why put himself at this discomfort? My argument would be, that's why we get older. Because we start avoiding all of this discomfort in life. 100%. I know you mentioned something earlier about the relationship you have with your parents. Mm -hmm. What's that like? Like, how was that growing up? How has it evolved to today? It's an interesting and touchy subject, um, but I'm not going to shy away from my, my parents have been divorced since I was one, um, but they always lived really close to each other, um, raised by my mom, but my dad was always at all the sporting events, everything. Both my parents, incredible people as individual parents. Um, but as I got older, and I think this happens with sons and their fathers, like your dad, for some reason, thinks like he needs to instill some things in you as like a man. Um, and I, I, that mixed with the recession which like really hurt him financially, mm. forced him to give me some of the worst advice you could ever give your, your kid, mm. um, which was like basically like, fuck your happiness, you know, you, you accept, uh, accept reality and get back to reality, which like your definition of reality is obviously very different than my definition of reality. Mm. And if you're old fashioned and your reality is a, a nine to five, then that's your reality, but that doesn't have to be mine. And, you know, we like to think that like parents should tell you to, to chase your dreams and all these kind of things. But I, I, I don't blame him in any way for the, for the way that he did these certain things based off of what was going on in his life. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there's, there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to like raising kids. Like I, I heard something recently, like they say that one of the most destructive things you can do for your kids is tell them that they're special. Hmm. But like some people would argue and say, you should absolutely tell your kids they're special. Hmm. But if you think about like the course of American history, um, my, gra uh, my grandparents raised by my great grandparents were, you know, the great grandparents had to deal with the great depression. So what did they teach our grandparents? Find a stable job and hold it. You know, don't dream, just find something safe so you can have the things you want in life. But then our grandparents came up in a time of economic upturn. It's great. The economy was doing great. So what did they teach our parents? You can, you know, you can stretch it a little bit. You can dream a little bit more. And our parents had an even better economy at that time. So what did they teach us? You're special. You can have whatever you want. Mm. So that's why our generation feels so entitled and we don't like to work and like no one really wants to dive into a nine to five where like that was just so expected back then. So obviously when the recession hit, the type of advice you're going to get from parents at that time is going to change as well, similar to how it did over the course of history. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it's, I think it's a really tough tough beam to balance on, right? Because, you know, neither one of us are parents, um, at least that I know of. And when you, <laughs> when you, when you have a child, like, I think telling them they're special is like really instrumental, but doing it 
in a way that supports them, like that supports their creativity. Because I think so many parents try to force their kids into something that they wanted as a kid. Like, oh, I always wanted to be a varsity basketball player. I'm going to like get my kid one-on-one lessons. Like, even though he doesn't have any interest in that, like he's super artistic and likes to draw shit. I think it just comes down to ego. Yeah. Like, and I gave my dad this credit. I actually said this to him like a few months ago. I said, imagine you have a kid. He's your son and you've taught him everything in the world. And all of a sudden, you know, you suggest that he should do this. And he says, no, I'm going to do this. As a parent, you're going to be like, what the fuck do you think you know? How could you know better than me? Like, you're not going to listen to me. You're an idiot. Like, and I get that. I could, I could totally see that. But at the same time, that's 100% just your ego as a parent. Yeah. And I think that's where we've clashed. So what do you think on the other end of that? What do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned from your dad? Um, hmm. there's many, like I, I've, I've learned that in my life for my growth, I've needed to, and this is unfortunate. I've needed to distance myself from him in a certain way. I don't mean physical distance. Well, that actually, that's true. I moved across the country specifically to have physical distance from my family because it would help me grow. And it did. Um, and then I realized like I needed more emotional distance. So I also instituted that. And I wish I had done it sooner because I felt enslaved by my parents' opinions. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like if you ask for your parents' opinion, they're going to give it to you. But parents will give it to you if you don't ask. And it can be really detrimental because once you hear what these are the people who love you most, once you hear what your loved ones think about something, it's hard to get it out of your head. I moved to L.A. with all of these dreams. And when I shared them with my dad and he crushed them on me, even though he wasn't anywhere near me, I couldn't go full hearted into any of those things anymore. So mm. I had to establish new dreams. What would you say to someone right now who's listening, who feels really held back, who feels tied down by their parents' opinions, their friends' judgment, people in their immediate circle who aren't supporting them, maybe, who are giving them negative, pessimistic energy? What would you say to those people how to kind of overcome and get out of that? I think first off is if you know who you want to be, then you need to surround yourself with those people because you're a combination of the five people that you spend the most time with. And if those people are your parents, that's already going to create an issue because they're on a completely different path at that point in their life. And you're their kid. So it's just very different. And I'd say you can love your parents. You will love your parents. There's nothing, that will, there's nothing like the, you know, a, a kid's love for their parents. Nothing will be like that. But at the same time, you don't have to like them. Yeah. My brother is a great example. I don't like my brother. He would not be a friend of mine. He'd be <laughs> someone I would very much not want to be around. He's not a nice person. I love him, but like that's a fact. So like when my family's like, hey, do you want to, you, you want to hang out like uh, so-and-so and so-and-so and your brother and whatever? I'm thinking like, I don't think of it like, ooh, do I want to go join my family in this loving family thing? I, I separate the family. I'm like, do I want to hang out with these people? And not just hang out. Do I want to share this part of my life with them? Do I want to ask opinions to these people? We always go to them because we're like, they love us. Let's go. Like, that's the first person we turn to. Mm. But maybe that shouldn't be. So if you're listening and you struggle with parents, don't turn to your parents. I think one of my brother's biggest issues in life is that he is, he's my older brother. So he's the firstborn. So he's way more inclined to share everything with my dad. And they clash way more than like, me and my dad ever did. And I feel bad because I feel like he had so much more potential in his life to do things and to dream and to be whatever he could have been. Not to say he's not doing well financially, he's doing extremely well. Um, 
but he's like, he's imprisoned by that. Mm. How so, much older is he? Two and a half years. Okay. So I'd, I'd say just don't be imprisoned by your family. You don't have to share things with them. Mm. And, and I don't mean to sound cold. Like you can love them. Yeah. You can share love. You can share feeling. You can share emotions, but you don't need to share everything in your life. If you have a dream, you could share it with your family. They might support you, but if they don't support you, how are you going to chase that dream? Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a living example of that. Like, yeah. And as the year, as the year is coming to an end and we're embarking on a new year, a new decade, I think it's such a good opportunity for people to really evaluate those relationships in their life and figure out which ones are serving them, which ones are feeding their soul, which ones are adding to their growth and which ones are detracting from that and which ones are kind of draining their energy. Who is an energy vampire in your life? And that's like, a good point too, and right like, there. and like, how can you, I think it's important what you said too, not in a malicious way, take them out of your life, but like distance, distance themselves in a way that they're not bringing you down and that like they know like, okay, like if this person really needs my support, I'm there for them, but like, I'm not going to rely on this person. Well, I think just mentioning energy, energy vampire, that's a great term too, or just someone that's cancerous in your life. If you have a friend and your friend has changed and every time you mention something, they put you down you're not gonna be friends with them very long. Yeah. But you're forced and you're stuck with your family for your whole life, but you don't have to be friends with your family. Yeah. You just, you're gonna love them, that's a different type of connection. So in the same way I would cut a friend out, I will cut a family member out, not of my life, but just of that type of social interaction. And what, are your, what is your dad or mom, anyone who kind of doubted you or maybe wasn't supporting you, in this journey of building your own brand and, and impacting thousands of people after seeing the success you've had, has there been any change in that conversation? No, well, I mean, it's definitely been a change because now there's, I mean, I, I support myself fully without working for another company. I'm an entrepreneur. So like I, my parents are proud of me. They'll say so, but it's not, I don't feel it the way that I would like to. Yeah. So I've just accepted that. I don't expect for it to be different. You know, like my dad's a bit old fashioned. So if you tell if you tell him my uh, my career is accounting, I make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. He'd know exactly how to explain that to his friends. He has no idea what I do. Mm. For the last two years, he'd be like, "Yeah, my he's got like a, a video and you, like a workout." I'm like, "You just bastardize whatever I do." He's like, well, "Well, is it is it not a video? Like, is there not videos?" I'm like, "Yeah, there's videos. So it's a video." You know, like, yeah. it's just parent stuff. So, like, I, I, don't, I don't blame him for being ignorant. But, like, I would think that if you cared, everybody has a different love language. But if you cared, you would show interest, not just say that you have interest. Mm. But everybody's different. His love language, from my analysis, is um, words. I don't, I don't remember the exact term. Mine is um, more feeling-based. Mm. So I don't care if you tell me you love me a million times. Like, I want to feel that you love me. Yeah. Talk about that in terms of relationships with women. Uh, I feel like we're in a time right now that it can be challenging to like build a connection with someone that's like that you want to grow together. There's like, I feel like at least from my personal experience, like the last year, year and a half, like I'm facilitating a lot of events, speaking, teaching. So I'm always like around other people in the health and wellness, fitness space mm -hmm. and like, the girls I've dated most of the times like 
have resentment and get jealous. And like, sometimes they won't even communicate it, but like, I can sense it. And like this tension builds and this resentment builds. And it's like, I'm such a loving dude. I just want to connect with people. And like, if I care about you, you're going to know about it. I wonder if you've encountered that. I'm sure you have. Oh yeah. I mean, it takes a very secure person to date me and maybe someone like yourself as I'm getting to know you um, because of that, because I'm so social, so, uh, so open. I have so much love to give to people. Like I think in typical relationships, especially in America, if you date someone, or I'll just speak from the male perspective. If I date a girl, my girlfriend's not going to be okay with me, like meeting a girl and making a new friend because they're going to feel threatened. But half the population, more than half the population is women. So if I can't go be friends with women, I've just cut half the people and half of my experiences and half of the spontaneity in life completely out of the question. I, because of that, I don't really believe in monogamy mm. because that's the beauty of life. I went to Thailand literally a year ago by myself, single, and sex aside, had the most um, incredible trip, the most awakening experience, learned so much about myself because I was free to just meet and to do things and to get up and move and be spontaneous. I, I'm, I'm seeing somebody now and she's amazing, but at the same time, like, yeah, I'm, I'm obligated to fit within the confines of boyfriend. And like, fortunately we live in LA, it's a spiritual place. So like, I know so many yogis that do cuddle puddles mm -hmm. or you might go to hot springs with like 10 of your friends and everyone's naked chilling in a hot spring. So there's definitely like a different mentality going on. But yeah, I'm not free to like, right now, here we are in Miami, we're at Art Basel. It's not like I could go to an Art Basel event, meet someone and be like, yeah, we should hang out tomorrow. And, you know, it'd totally be innocent. Yeah. Because from their perspective, it might not be the same. But I think that after like this spiritual awakening, I'm more like on your page of like, yeah, I have so much love that I want to spread around. It doesn't have to be sex-based. I just want to meet people and share things and have these experiences. Yeah. Dating's... Dating's difficult for that reason. Yeah. I never like I never wanted to fall into a title of something. Right. So how so right now, like how are you how are you making that work, keeping your partner happy and still maintaining like your freedom? Um just by being as open as I can. Mm. I think that's the biggest problem is that people think that they can communicate. Um there's a term which I think is relatively new. My um my best friend and roommate, um, is studying it. It's called psychological safety, but it's basically um, your ability to speak your truest and freest self to those around you, your peers or the people you work with. Now, I have psychological safety in all aspects of my life, a little bit less in my relationship. It's not completely open, of course, as to be expected, and the least around my family. Um, but I think it's important. Like I said to this girl from the beginning, I said, I know where this is leading, which is a problem for me because I don't want to be in a relationship and I don't really fully believe in monogamy. And she's said, okay, well, thanks for telling me. Let's just see what happens and just keep me updated along the way. So I do. But it is going to be a challenge because what's going to, I mean, what's going to happen if we're deep in love and then like I just meet somebody randomly like that. I don't want to say it's, I don't mean meet somebody else to replace them. I, I mean, I, like, just meet somebody that presents a spontaneous situation to do something. I get it, bro. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I've never felt it more this past summer when I was traveling. I did six weeks by myself. And, like, I love traveling by myself. Like, I like doing, I like, doing like, 
a weekend with a friend or friends, mm -hmm. but I've realized that like long-term, like for longer durations, I like doing it by myself because similar to what you said about like being a local, like I really like just immersing myself. And sometimes I'll just fucking walk the streets and like walk 10 or 15 miles in like a place like Barcelona, stop somewhere for a cerveza and like connect with someone, then like go, go to Mallorca with them the next day and then Ibiza. That's literally how it was. And I feel like when you're in that space, like when you're traveling and you're so open to possibilities right. and like the opportunity to connect with somebody new, like if we can transfer some of that energy to like our everyday life, wherever it is we live, it's so beautiful, bro. When you're, you're able to like connect with someone in that meaningful way. And it's unpredictable. Like that's, I think it's, that's been a problem for me, not a problem, but like something I've encountered is like, I, I like somebody, like, I feel like I, I like someone I'm connected with them, but it doesn't necessarily remove my attraction to somebody else. Right. And, but, but, but let's talk about attraction, right? Yeah. Should my girlfriend be mad at me because I walk down the street and a beautiful person walks by and I look at them? No. Girlfriends would yell at their boyfriends for that. Mm. But what is traction? What is attraction? That uh, I didn't decide to be attracted. It's not a conscious decision. It's subconscious. It's been programmed into me. Whatever, <laughs> like you know, nature put in me to be attracted. I can't look at anything that I'm attracted to. I gotta stay because my girlfriend's gonna be upset. What kind of life is that? Yeah. You should look at everything that yeah. attracts your eyes. If you like flowers, when you walk past flowers, look at them. They're beautiful. Yeah. If a beautiful person walks by, look at them. Yeah, it's part of this human experience. Right. You don't need to go up to them and like get their number and try to sleep with them. Obviously, that's going to cross some lines, but look. Yeah. I think the communication like you talked about is so important. How can we, how can we build more open lines of communication, be more transparent, be more authentic with each other, with our partners? By not being emotional when you communicate. Mm. I think people think that they communicate, but they do it in a way that there's so much behind their words that the other person either is intimidated or somehow like put off to not be as honest as they should. Mm. Like if you're feeling, um, I don't know, like uh, you don't have the freedom in the relationship that you want, you're feeling like a little claustrophobic in your relationship, most people would have a lot of emotions tied to that and you would blow up on your significant other. Like I see people, I, I, I see more couples fight. My guy friends create fights with their girlfriends when they're in a situation where there's single women around and they want to be single. Mm. All of a sudden they're presented with opportunities. So like being in a relationship doesn't make sense anymore. And I also said this the other day to somebody I was talking to. It's harder to be in a relationship when a beautiful person's checking you out. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden you just want to be single. Yeah. So then when your girlfriend like gives you a hard time or says, oh, you said dinner was six o'clock and you're changing it to seven, you flip out on them because all of a sudden you're like, what am I doing this for? Somebody's checking me out the other day. And then you just have this opportunistic mind. So I would think that my, my opinion is communication by removing the emotion. So mm -hmm. before you communicate, breathe, <laughs> chill, take it out of your voice and just speak plainly. And if the person can't accept what you're saying, they don't have to agree with you, but if they can't take it without blowing up back, you probably shouldn't be with that person. Yeah, listening to listen, man. I think like just talking to you now, it's been a really good natural flow. Like every word you say, I'm like in tune with. And like, of course I'm like, I wanna keep the conversation flowing, but like I wrote a bunch of things I wanted to touch on and like haven't hit half of them, but that's fine. Because like, I'm just listening actively. I don't have a agenda 
Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not looking to just like immediately respond. I'm like, yo, where can I gain insights from what Adam just said? And how can I build upon that? And how can we like take this conversation to the next level? How can we keep it evolving? Well, I also think it, you know, with that, like when I watch like some of your other episodes, I've done podcasts in the, in the past where it's like, I'm just being interviewed. Yeah. I don't really, as is, is surprising as this might sound, I don't love talking about myself because I don't learn so much. Yeah. You learn from listening. You can learn from talking too, because you'll put out truths that you didn't realize were so evident in your life. But um, you have like your podcast with Noah, like you were offering a lot of insights as well. It wasn't just question and answer, question mm. and answer. So I'm I'm here to learn and just take the conversation organically as it goes, because well, that's just more real. I think, and I think it's I think it's really beneficial for for you and and for people who have been following you who do your programs because a lot of times you you can't really communicate these type of messages in like 60 seconds so this this gives you an opportunity to like dive deeper into adam's mindset and like some of his stories some of his overcomings of adversity that have helped shape him into who he is today and i think that's really important because oftentimes we see like the finished product and like, we're, we're not finished products. We're just continuing to evolve, but people are so quick. Like they're just starting their fitness journey. Like, fuck dude, like Adam's so jacked. He's vascular as fuck. <laughs> like, I want to get like that. It's like, yo, this has been like 10 years of consistent work. Right. You know? Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's the problem with social media is again, like 99% of what you see is just the top 1% of that person's life. So yeah, I mean, I'm putting out all this amazing stuff on social media and I'm always so happy and luck and, you know, and I'm always preaching positivity, but like I might be happy and preaching positivity on the, one of my worst days because I, I mean, some people will share messages of I'm depressed or I was suicidal or all these other things. And that's great if that's how you can help, you know, change and, you know, influence people positively. But I, you know, I, I want to be the example of, I want to be the example for people to follow, but that doesn't mean that my life was perfect. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that like I didn't, I struggled to put on weight and I was a scrawny kid. And I, um, when I played travel soccer back in the day, I was bullied by the whole team that I didn't even like being on the team. And like, I've been bullied by my family and like, yeah, I mean, I, I've had my own road, like all the other scrawny kids that are out there that aspire to be big jacked fitness people with followings and friends and this glamorous life that you think people are living through Instagram. Like it's just a facade. Yeah. How would you say for someone who's trying to build their personal brand, regardless of the industry, you know, I think it's always an ever changing platform. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Instagram, we're seeing a lot of decline in organic engagement as there's so many creatives trying to create content for it. So you see people like going to TikTok. I'm big on LinkedIn. Like I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn because I want to connect with business professionals with disposable income um, and do a lot of speaking engagements through that. So what pieces of advice would you say to someone who's just getting started building their personal brand, building their mission, their vision? What would you say to that person? To, to know, maybe even write it down, but your why. Why are you doing this? Mm. I have a lot of people that reach out to me. Adam, I, I want to I live a life like yours. I want to travel and have followers and um, live a cool life. I'm like, what, 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 like what, what do you mean? Like, my life isn't having followers and traveling. My life is other things. You're just talking about my Instagram. You're basically telling me you just want to be an Instagram influencer. But that's not a why. Like, why do you want to be an Instagram mm. influencer? For me, why do I want followers? 
because I run a fitness business and more followers means more customers. I don't care about having a million followers so I could be like, yeah, I got a million. Yeah. It's not a status symbol for me. And I guess that's easy for me to say in the position that I am in having followers, but like it was never my goal to get them. Mm. And I think that if your goal is just to get followers, you're, you're misleading yourself because that's a poor why. You want followers for something. Mm. You want followers so you can help change the world. You want followers so you can help support your business. But if you just want followers because you want followers because it's social proof in your life among your friends, it's a shame. But I, again, that's kind of the world that we live in too. Yeah. Like, tell me, like, if, you, if you, somebody tells you the name of somebody, the first thing you do is check Instagram to see who they are and you're going to see their followers right at the top of their page. Yeah. It serves as some sort of credibility in some sense. Yeah. It's just a shame. Yeah. Where do you... Um... Where do you see like all of that going in terms of, do you have any idea? Like, I mean, in terms of like building your message, building your audience, obviously Instagram has been pivotal. Mm -hmm. Like, do you see anything kind of moving forward that you want to um, move onto? Like, is there, is there something else? Maybe it's longer form like podcasts or, or something else that's speaking to you? I, um, I was raised in a business-minded family. I went to University of Miami, double majored in economics and advertising. So like the last career that I ever really would have accepted as a career was a career in fitness because I understand that if, for instance, if you're a personal trainer, there's only so many hours in the day that you can put into clients. So like your ability to grow is very limited to the time that there is in a day. Right. Um, so if you're doing it for the next step or if you're doing it in conjunction with other things, that's one thing. But it also just depends what you want. If you want to keep making more money and growing, that's something. Some people just want to have a nice life and just set it up. And maybe they're happy making 50000 having a few clients and doing whatever. Um, but I don't, I don't imagine I'm going to be the young, shredded, 29-year-old guy that like, is teaching you fitness forever. I'm not. Are you so, 29? Yeah. Oh, nice. When's your birthday? Uh, August. Nice, bro. You're one month older than me. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, I'm never older than anybody. <laughs> nice. Um, but basically, like, I, I know that this is going to all end at some point. Sure, I can be 50 and still be in shape and influence people in fitness. I could be 60 and do the same thing. But, like, I need to evolve the brand beyond just being aesthetic. Yeah. So whether that's a podcast, whether that's a business. My business, Body Alchemy, is not my brand. Mm -hmm. I didn't make my business Adam Freighter LLC. I made mm -hmm. my business another brand. So eventually I can phase myself out as being the face of the brand. Because then the brand can exist without me having yeah, more scalable, of course. Um, but what I, I hope that the social media landscape changes, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a battle. Like in the same way, like they've been talking about removing likes, yeah. for instance. I kind of hope they do. Yeah. I mean, I'm an, it doesn't do me any good because I already have the followers and I get the likes. But like, it would do the world really good. Hundred percent. Removing the followers, like it would do the world really fucking good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm glad that I have the people in my life that I do and the girlfriend that I do and, and the things that I do because that's all has nothing to do with social media. Yeah. But fuck, if I was like 18 or 19 right now, I'd feel so much pressure to like have to fit in and it'd have to be social media based. Like I just can't even imagine. Yeah, bro. So yeah, part of me wants to see that gone. Mm. It's not going to help me out. Dude, I'm, I'm like, I'm really, I'm so grateful that I stayed persistent. I actually have this Hebrew tattoo that means hatmada, which means perseverance. Oh, nice. It's something that I really like, if there's something or someone that I want to connect with and connect to, 
I'm like, I, it's intuition, right? It goes back to intuition. I'm like, yo, I know this person would add a lot of value for this audience and I want to support them with whatever they're doing. So I'm so glad we were able to connect and make this happen. Yeah, man, me too. And I think- I and I think it would be like this. This is great. Yeah, dude. And I think for you, like I see so much more than just like fitness. For me personally, like fitness- what I'm seeing like the fitness industry, I relate way more to just like health and wellness, like the whole 360 approach. Like what are we doing to make sure that we're grounding ourselves in this loud, chaotic world? Like the, ensuring that we have peace of mind. Of course, fitness is part of that movement, nutrition, you know, mindfulness, all of this goes hand in hand, but you cover so many aspects of this. And I feel like you're- Well, as do you, and you said it, you said the word which is not thrown around enough, wellness. Yeah. Wellness is not working out. Wellness is everything re regarding being healthy, from your mental health to your physical health to your relationships to everything that you do in life. Nobody, not nobody, I'm sorry, not enough people focus on wellness. 100%, bro. And I think, I know we have to wrap up soon, but I think a big reason why is because it's like selling prevention. And we're so, we're, we, I think you mentioned it earlier, we are such a reactive society. We often wait till shit hits the fan to take action. Yeah. So whether that's like a fight with our loved one, whether that's someone getting a chronic or, or severe illness, and then we start doing something to, to make the situation better rather than being proactive, rather than having that long-term vision in mind. Like I wanna be able to do this shit when I'm 70, 80, 90, playing with my grandkids, like fucking stunting on people, crossing them up on the, on the basketball court. Like this is a long-term game, it's a marathon. Yeah. And I think so many people get tied in and try to win the sprint and they're not really um, keeping that in mind. So um, I wanna get into a rapid fire real quick. You ready for this? I don't know what that means, but let's just- Let's go. Favorite emoji? Um, the one with like the huh, face. <laughs> you know, like the little side like- huh. Okay, 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 I got you. Like when you say like a little troll of a remark and you're like- huh. Okay, that's your go-to? Yeah, I like that one. Okay, um, biggest pet peeve? <laughs> Insecurities. Mm. What's your biggest insecurity right now? Um, shit. I don't know. It's supposed to be rapid fire. We'll come back to it. Yeah. Um, book or movie that has impacted you the most? Maybe recent one. Um, ironically, The Alchemist, amazing mm. uh, book, <clears throat> which basically the story is like, you can go around searching for all of these things, but like your purpose is kind of right back at the start. Mm, you are the sense. source. Yeah, you're the source. Um, movie, um, I haven't been watching so much TV or movies recently to really have, have one in that regard. Yeah, neither do I, but there's, there's a, a couple of really good ones on Netflix about Bill Gates, like inside his brain, bro. Oh, yeah. Highly recommend it. Okay. It's like really powerful. You see, this guy's like unreal. Anyways, um, Last Supper, okay, Shabbat dinner. <laughs> All right, you get, a, you get to have dinner with three people, dead or alive, can't be family. Can't be like loved ones. Um, who would those three people be? Um, Alan Watts. Mm. Uh, I've always struggled in my life having role models. So this is a very difficult question for me, but he's someone that you could just learn just so much from. Um, this is gonna sound dumb because there's a lot more I could put into it, but Trump. Okay. It's not because I'm an avid Trump fan. 
I'm not a not avid Trump fan. I'm not a Trump fan. I'm not very much into politics. Yeah. Um, but I like people that just speak to their truest, even if it's just so ignorant and out there. Yeah. I love it. One Plus, more. I think him and Alan Watts at the same table would be really interesting. That'd be unreal. That'd be an interesting dynamic. Yeah. One more. Um, Ellen DeGeneres. Mm, some female energy. Yeah. Female masculine energy. Yeah, for real. And some humor. Never hurts. Oh, yeah. My man. Dude, I want to acknowledge you for fucking committing, for coming out here. I know you have a busy week planned for Basel, and I'm so appreciative that you made the time to share some wisdom, share some knowledge, share some of your story. And I'm just so excited to continue watching your journey take shape, impacting lives, and doing it with intention along the way, bro. I think it's so important that there's people like you that have a big following that have accumulated these fans and followers and are really intentional about how they want to bring these people value. So thank you. And uh, yeah, bro, I want to give you a chance to plug your programs where people can connect with you. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I really appreciate that. If, if anything, honestly, this was pretty like grounding and kind of made me feel more present. You know, talking about these things kind of brings them back to light. You might have discoveries throughout your life, spiritual awakenings or whatnot, which just live in your memory. But if you talk about it, can relive all of the things that you discovered. Um, so business is Body Alchemy. Go to bodyalchemy.me. You'll find the Shredded Academy. It's a calisthenics program, um, all bodyweight movements inspired by calisthenics. Calisthenics is using bodyweight movements in gymnastic style uh, movements as well for physical fitness. And like I said, I mean, the, the focus is primarily to get you shredded. So if aesthetics are what you're going for, nothing wrong with that but you're going to get so much more. You're going to get in touch with your body. You're going to have that feel. And the truth is health really, you've heard it before. Health does start on the inside. I am not, a, I'm not shredded and able to do all the flips and the stunts that I can do because I just trained for it. I'm sorry, because I just trained my body for it. It's because I have the, the mind, I have the mental clarity and I have everything else going for me. Mind, body, spirit, it really is important. You can't just train your body. You have, if you have the mind, if you have it, it'll make it so much easier. 100%. And I think that's when people mo miss out, you know. 100%, bro. I appreciate you. Guys, you already know what time it is. It's time to get your mind right and stand up to sitting. <laughs>